Hello, and welcome to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And on today's episode of Opera for Everyone, what are we listening to, Pat? Oh, we're in for a musical treat today. This is Puccini's famous opera, Madama Butterfly. And you have some very strong feelings about Madame Butterfly. It is such an upsetting story. <laughs> I, I have had to leave the opera house because I'm crying so hard. It's it is, a tough one. It's a powerful story and I just my heart breaks for uh, our lead character Chocho Cho San yeah otherwise known as Madame Butterfly because butterfly. Uh, Chocho means butterfly in Japanese yeah she I I believe so and then San is just an honorific so it's like Ms. Butterfly which is why it's called Madame Butterfly and she it's it's very sad for her yeah although the first act is not sad <laughs> no it's like her dreams comes true Yes, yes. So let's let's talk a little bit about the time frame when this takes place because that that's very important. It's in the very early years of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. I read like 1902, something like that. Uh, it's a little bit later than that. It premieres in Milan in 1904. Okay. Interestingly, the version of Madama Butterfly that premiered in Milan at La Scala is not the version we typically hear today. Yeah, it kind of flopped, I heard. It flopped for a couple of reasons, not least of which is that people who were jealous of Puccini and his success and his dominance on the opera scene in Italy and the world conspired against him to boo and hiss. That was one of the big problems. And the other big problem, the audience wasn't putting up with the one and a half hour second act Oh. So as it stands now, Madame Butterfly is a three-act opera. Yes. Yes. And <laughs> and the very long second act got divided into into two acts. And they also did a few things to change it around to make some, believe it or not, to make the uh, male lead who, I mean, he's just an awful person when you watch this. Right. To, to, to give him a little more humanity. And yeah. we'll talk about that when we get to that song. That's in the third act but we are uh, listening right now underneath we're listening to bf pinkerton benjamin franklin pinkerton can you guess what country he's from the u.s yes indeed he is an american naval officer Mm -hmm. and he is our lead he is our tenor and he is the the man who makes things happen or not happen and he's a baddie don't get me started. Don't don't hate the player, hate the game, Pat. <laughs> it's, so it's an interesting time, right at the early part of the 20th century. It's a period of time when, for those of you who know your history, Commodore Perry, if that means anything to you, he was about half a century earlier, right in the middle of the 19th century, when he brings his famous black ships, his gunboats, into the harbor outside of Tokyo, and it, it's the demanding of the opening oh. of trade. Because for generations and generations and generations, the only Westerners who were permitted to trade with the Japanese were the Dutch. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, it's, it's a fascinating history. So those were the only Westerners who had any contact with the Japanese and the Japanese wanted to, to remain a more or less closed society. Interesting. And as time goes by, the world is being more interconnected. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of colonial 
grabbing going on if you think of what happened with the Europeans and, and various parts of the world, in particular Africa. The colonial impulse is strong among Western nations. And America was part of that. I mean, that's where, you know, the Philippines come sure. in, for example. Yep. And so Commodore Perry essentially forces these treaties onto the Japanese. And huh. so an American presence there is safeguarding trade. Now, that all sounds and was very domineering on the part of the Westerners. And by the way, it wasn't just Westerners who were in Japan. But the Japanese, for their part, embraced this modernization enthusiastically. I mean, I'm over painting generalizations, yeah. but there was an enthusiastic embrace of Westernization. Made them feel like they were part of the future and yeah. a, a player in a game. Yeah, so so it, any of these things, it's very complex historically. But interestingly, this story, the one that is the is the basis, which ultimately becomes this opera, is a story that's experienced and told in many different iterations. The earliest one we know of is from 1878 or 9, Pierre Loti, who's a Frenchman. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a French naval officer who publishes this semi-autobiographical book where he talks about his temporary marriage to a Japanese woman. Right. Which, if you don't know Madame Butterfly, that is that is the heart of what's going on here. This Right. The, uh, the temporary marriage, which is essentially kind of like you buy someone for a while and you take care of her, and then when you're done, you just leave. Right, right. And again, it's it's a complicated arrangement because it's like leasing a car. It was it was economically advantageous for the right. families of these young women who entered into this. And in fact, Lottie's story really focuses on the the economic element of it, and she's counting the money at the end of the story. His his wife or his, his, his family, his, his wife's family. The the Japanese wife. I the mean, Japanese these wife. men always said, you know, I'll get married for real to a woman from my own country. Right. At some point. And so these were not considered real marriages by the Western men. And it was an economic arrangement, oftentimes just very knowingly on the part of the Japanese right. family. But that's not what's depicted here in this opera. Right, which was going back to what I said earlier, don't hate the player, hate the game. Like why it's so complicated is Pinkerton is a villain, but he's taking advantage of a system that was built for him. So, yeah, very is, much so. is he really a villain or is he just... Well, we're going to see the two American characters who appear in the opera are B.F. Pinkerton. He's our lead. Mm -hmm. But we'll also see the American consul, Sharpless. Mm -hmm. And Sharpless is a tempering influence on... Sharpless is not on board with all the attitudes that Pinkerton expresses. So we've hinted at a lot of stuff. Let's go ahead and, yes, and let's let meet the characters. Pinkerton introduce himself. We've heard a little bit of his song, but for those who were listening carefully in the beginning, you might have noticed a familiar tune. It begins, he introduces himself, or the music introduces him, with snippets of the national anthem, mm -hmm. the Star-Spangled Banner. And that's proclaiming his Americanness, and it's it's you know triumphant, and, and it's and it's and it's big and it's heroic. brash, and he is big and brash and very proud of his himself and his role in the world. So let's meet Benjamin Franklin Pinkerton. All right, 
If you've just tuned in, you are listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And on today's episode, we're listening to Madame Butterfly by Giacomo Puccini. Irlanda di fiori freschi, una stella dai raggi d'oro. E per nulla sto dicendo se vostra grazia mi comanda cena un assortimento. Da conduci la coro! Smaglia vi prende, saresti addirittura conto, non so 
Non so, dipende dal grado di cottura. You're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And on today's episode, we are listening to Madame Butterfly by Giacomo Puccini. And we've just heard our main character, B.F. Pinkerton, the baddie, introduce himself. And it also sounded like there were some other voices in their path. Who were they? Well, the opera opens with him checking out this new dwelling, this new home, with the real estate agent slash marriage broker. Mm, was that a popular <laughs> profession back in the early 1900s in I Tokyo? Know, for all your rental needs, it seems. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Oh my gosh, Pat. It's terrible, isn't it? Goro, and he is the one who has arranged this home, and he's showing him around and showing him how the the walls slide open oh, and right, slide yes. shut, and you can arrange it in any way because this is very different from the kind of home that the American right, Pinkerton is accustomed to. Yeah. Exactly, and Pinkerton calls it a fairy tale dwelling. There's a little bit of a hint as to his attitude towards the whole thing, mm-hmm. that it's not entirely real, real to him. And Goro is also the one who's helped him arrange this marriage. And in both cases, these are binding contracts on the other parties and even talks about it being a 99, excuse me, 999 year arrangement, Mm -hmm. which Pinkerton can end on a moment's notice. Right, whenever he feels like it. But the other parties, the Japanese parties are bound for a thousand years. As long as he wants it. Right. Seems seems fair. (laughs) Not really. Um, <laughs> at any rate, coming up soon, we meet Suzuki, uh-huh. who is the longtime family maid and now companion of Chocho-san, mm-hmm. a butterfly. Mm-hmm. And she's polite. She's very polite. And she is devoted throughout this entire opera. She is completely profoundly devoted to Chocho-san. Completely devoted. In the, to- and, and remember, I just I, I just saw this. Yes. At Glyndebourne. Well, and I mean, her, was, that's like, it couldn't be, get better than that, It right? was bonkers. And um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, mangle the name, but Olga Busoich played the role of Butterfly. Yeah. Um, and she was, she brought the house down. I think she must have gotten three standing ovations. The music is exquisite. It was amazing. In this opera. And, and also, and Suzuki was incredible too. And she was so funny. Just the way she was, uh, the way she was acted, and the way that she was portrayed. But she was completely devoted to Chocho Song. That is her character. Mm-hmm. That she is devoted, and she's not as not as naive as Butterfly is. Right. Well, and she's a little bit older, and she wears sensible shoes, and yes. you know, the whole thing. <laughs> well, she's got work to to get done. Pinkerton at this point is also interacting with the American consul that we mentioned earlier. Sharpless is his name. Mm-hmm. And Sharpless is there to help officiate the wedding. You know, he's there because he's involved in anything important that the Americans do while they're in Japan. Mm -hmm. And Sharpless is hearing Pinkerton speak about this marriage in the house. And he's actually suggesting to Pinkerton that he exercise some caution. That these are serious things that he's entering into. And he shouldn't take them too lightheartedly. Because that that could be trouble. Yeah, could and, backfire. I mean, he when when Pinkerton is saying, "Oh, this is so much fun," Sharpless just cautions him by saying, "It's a very easy gospel that makes life pleasant. 
but it can bring sadness to another's heart. Mm-hmm. So he's a little more foreshadowing. He's a little more in touch with the fact that the Japanese, whose home they are in, whose land they are in, are people who have the same problems and feelings as the Americans. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, they end up toasting to America, America forever. Sharpless asks him, what frenzy has seized you? Can you really be infatuated? Because he's noticing that he really quite fancies this young woman. And underneath, you can hear just a little bit of singing. And that's Pinkerton saying, well, who can tell if it's love or if it's a whim? All I know is that her naive charm has entranced me. Yeah, well, and see, this is where you get into the, like, is he really a villain? Or Because she's, like, 15, right? Yeah, she's, like, a young... Yeah, I was saving that until she herself tells us, which comes very soon. She will tell us she, that she is 15. Okay, sorry, I don't want to do any spoilers. But, yeah, he's, no. like, he's doing that, like, creepy thing where he's, like, oh, I don't know if I'm in love with her, but she's just, she's so young and vulnerable and naive, and that's just exciting. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. And I mean, so that's like the creepy part of it. It's like, I can't help myself. She's just so darling. Innocent, and I just can't wait to get well, my hands on that. And he even says she's like a butterfly, fluttering and resting with such silent gracefulness that I'm assailed by a furor to pursue her, even if I should break her wings. Yeah. Yeah. So this is where he is. That's where he is. And Sharpless... It says, surely, sincere love speaks so sincerely, it would be a great pity to break those wings and torture a trusting heart. So Sharpless is like, um... You're playing yeah, with fire, my she's friend. She's a human being with yes. feelings. She's not just like a pretty butterfly, so maybe you want to... Exactly. Check exactly. yourself. And Pinkerton dismisses him. Oh, men your age, you just worry too much. And Sharpless says... Uh, my friend, it would be a great shame that that divine and mild little voice should have to sing about grief. Talk about foreshadowing, huh? Right. He's seen this play play out previously. Right. And he knows it's Yeah, this dangerous. isn't the first time that he's seen a, a young right. naval officer come in and quote-unquote marry well, and nevertheless, these women you know, and... they are these two American men in a foreign land. And so there's right. a certain bonding that goes on, even if Sharpless is sort of playing the older brother role mm-hmm. and cautioning him. But Pinkerton offers a toast and says, well, let's toast, my friend, to the day I truly get married to a real wife, an American wife. And they toast to that. So they've have toasted to America forever. They've toasted to the distant future American wife. American wife, and you just you go. Oh, this and, is and not is Chocho San in the room? Is she not yet? No. Not yet. Okay. She is. She is climbing up the hill. This house is way up high on a hill, uh-huh. and she just about that point, she comes up. But let's in fact, go ahead and listen to Butterfly introducing herself with the song, "Yet Another Step to Climb." Ancora un paso. Wait, ancora un paso or via. I am the happiest girl in all Japan, in all the world, she will tell us. She's in love, by the way. Ah, girl. Okay. All right. Well, let's have a listen to that. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And on today's episode, we are listening to Giacomo Puccini's Madame Butterfly. Mm -hmm. 
You're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL, and that was Chocho-san introducing herself in the opera Madame Butterfly by Giacomo Puccini. And wow, that was... That was powerful, right? That was pretty impressive. Yeah, just a, a, a quick aside. Puccini made great effort to learn what he could about Japanese culture and music as he was preparing this opera. Right. And so just to, he didn't have Google. He did not have Google, but he (laughs) did. It's like 1900. (laughs) There's no Google. There's no Google. He didn't get some CDs, but he did. uh, Some CDs. He did have some music boxes that had tunes on them, just just as with Torandot. Oh, right. There's actually a huge story behind that, which we do not have time to get into today. Because Turandot was Puccini also. Yes, yeah. that's China, not Japan. But, but he had a little bit of a an interest in the Orient, perhaps. Right, and he was not unique among Europeans at that time. Mm. It, there was more, as we talked about, the opening, there's more right. trade going on, mm-hmm. more connection. And so this fascination with the artistic and cultural aspect. Yeah, I mean, think of uh, some number of years before the Mikado came out. And there were yeah. other other things as well that show a fascination that the Westerners have, not a complete understanding, but certainly a fascination, and to some degree, an appreciation of some of the cultural aspects. Mm-hmm. And so Puccini's actually, I think, trying to be quite sensitive. But as I mentioned, he's basing his story on a music box. Well, no, I mean, he's he's getting he's getting some information about Japanese music from music boxes and things like that. But the story is coming from this French. Oh, that French book. But I'll tell you what, it's not just the Frenchman from the Frenchman. There's also that's a piece of the inspiration for the story, but it, it doesn't go directly from him to Puccini. There's several steps along the way, including an American named John Luther Long whose sister had served along with her husband in a mission in Nagasaki Oh, in the latter part of the 19th century. And she had told a story, which was sounds very much like the Madame Butterfly story, except for some of the details. But, you know, essentially these tea house girls, these mm-hmm. um, lower station status of geisha, more or less, had these temporary marriages and how they would be paid. And some of them understood it as a as a business arrangement and some of them got a little bit more emotionally entangled got a little more entangled certainly there were children produced from these unions and those children just as as a side note because you don't see their child in the opera any as anything other than a, a small child they they actually are in a very difficult position because they are neither Japanese right. nor American or French or Scottish or whatever the mm-hmm. the background is they're between and so they tend to be discriminated against by both sets. Right. So it's tough for the kids. I, I looked into that a little bit. Again, don't have as much time to tell yeah. you everything I've learned about this story. But Butterfly yeah. is desperately in love. The song we just heard. Yeah, what was she saying? She's just so excited. I am the happiest, most fortunate woman in the world. You heard the chorus. Mm-hmm. Those are her friends singing in excitement with her. And she introduces herself a little bit, and we see Pinkerton continue with this concept of, oh, you're just like, you have a doll-like manner. Yeah, he doesn't see her as a human. He really doesn't. He doesn't see her as a person. But Sharpless asks about her background, and she says, I was from a once prosperous family, 
And he asks about her father, and she simply says, dead. We'll get back to that in a moment. Hmm. And they ask, how old are you? She says, well, guess. And Sharpless guesses that she's 10. Oh. So that's how young she appears to be. Oh, gosh. It just gets creepier, doesn't it? It does. And she, she says, no, I am, I am 15. And so we know that she's 15, 15 because she has just told us. And Sharpless observes that's the age of playthings. Again, this concept of a doll-like, being like yep. a toy, a fairy tale, an unreality to it. And Pinkerton at this point is like, got this house. I'm expecting to be married to this doll-like, beautiful, sweet-smelling young woman. And now I have to put up with the family members. The family members are tromping in. He's, and he just says, this procession of my new relatives, it's a farce. It's a farce. I don't don't want it anymore. There's the drunken uncle over there, like enough already. And the family and the relatives are kind of on board with the marriage, but they're not excited about it the way that Butterfly is. They're not seeing it. They're saying, well, you know, she's getting kind of old. Her beauty is fading. (laughs) Yeah. Boy, once you get past 15, (laughs) it's all downhill from there. I know. And Pinkerton is still super excited because she's lovely yeah she's everyone thinks she's lovely and he just says her exotic scent it has confused my brain she's young but i'll cultivate her and her relatives are like oh she'll be divorced soon so it's 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 an odd fraught wedding scene and sharpless once again cautions him repeatedly he does this in this first act if the marriage and her faith seem like a joke to you bear in mind that she believes it. Right. Because she has shown him some of her little possessions that she brings right. to the marriage, well, and, and it's she, not much. She converted to Christianity. Yes. For well, him. Okay, so she's showing him, she's keeping these little totems of her ancestors because in the Shinto practice, the ancestors are absolutely critical. Mm-hmm. And so it's Buddhist Shinto is her background. And she brings these little totems of her of her ancestors and Pinkerton doesn't appreciate doesn't yeah. respect it at all and he's right. just like this is all such a such a joke let me just get to the marriage chamber please yeah can we just get on with this yeah can we just get on with this well they do have a moment together and Butterfly tells him yes I've gone to the American mission in other words I've gone to the Christians represented here in Nagasaki and I have taken your religion I've renounced my own faith but she she does this out of earshot of her relatives also, when she's showing the little items that she's mm-hmm. brought, there's some rouge, little makeup mirror and things like that. In addition, there's something that's slightly more serious. She pulls out a sheath, and it contains a dagger. Ah, And right. she simply says, this is sacred to me. But Goro, this marriage broker, uh-huh. real estate agent guy, sees it, and he, he goes, oh, yeah. That's the dagger her father committed suicide with. Oh, I didn't get that from the story when yeah. I saw it. No, oh. no, no. He, he, well, he, he does it with a gesture, but he, again, he explains it and he says, well, the Mikado, the guy in charge, sent an invitation to her father and he could not refuse. In other words, the Mikado required his sacrifice. I see. He had fallen into disfavor and that's how you solve that. Ah, all right. Okay, so that's, now she's got that and the little 
uh, totems of her ancestors and a thing of rouge. She basically tosses the ancestors away when she tells Pinkerton she's so devoted that she's converted. She's going to give up on all that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Let's just get married and get your relatives out of the house because they're bugging me. Yeah, that's that's kind (laughs) of... Which is how most things go, usually. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and they and they carry on with the marriage ceremony. Okay, and then what happens? Well, after they've had just after they've had the marriage ceremony, another uncle shows up. Is he a drunkle? He, this is not the drunken uncle. This guy is sober as a priest. In fact, he is. Oh, this is the priest. Yeah, yeah. right. I don't even know how to pronounce this. The bonza. The bonza. The bonza. He is the the uncle priest. Yep. He comes in and he is he found out that she renounced her religion he's no fun at all yeah he denounces her he yeah. says you have turned your You're back dead to on me. us you are dead to me and he looks at all the other relatives and, and you're and, dead to all of us exactly and they basically walk out singing as a chorus we renounce you we renounce you so here she is she's in this marriage that she thinks is a love marriage she's yep. given her all including cutting all her these faith. ties to her family to her gods, to uh, her ancestors. And she's... She's launching herself into this. She's launching herself into this, and Pinkerton's thinking she's a doll. Yep. She's a toy. Yeah. thing. Really, really good way to start a marriage. Yeah, so they they all leave, because it's kind of gotten in that ugly scene that happens yep. sometimes. And there is a beautiful set of love songs that happen between Pinkerton and Oh, yeah, Butterfly. I remember this, the love duet the love duet and and it's it's a series of them but but the first one little child little child do not cry don't don't pay any attention to them we're we're good and let's listen to that all right so this is bimba bimba non piangere right don't cry don't cry um from Giacomo Puccini's Madame Butterfly on Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL Non valgono il pianto di qua 
a voi chiudete You're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL, and on today's episode, we're listening to Giacomo Puccini's Madame Butterfly, and we've just heard the love duet, Dear One, Dear One, Don't Cry, with Pinkerton and Chocho-san. Yeah. It's, I, I don't know who translated it as Dear One. I think it's more like Little Child. Yeah, because she's like, oh, I'm so happy, and we're going to be so happy together, and he's like, yeah, stop crying, little doll. Right, and he thinks she's just so cute. And intoxicating. So it's a couple of things. She is young and childlike, and she is beautiful, and she is exotic to him. She's Japanese, after right. all, and he's American. Right. So she's needing to be comforted by him because she keeps saying, I'm alone and renounced. Oh, yeah, because her family all just left her. Yeah, in a big scene. Yep. Because she converted to Christianity. Yep. So she's been renounced by her family. And in in amongst where he's singing, right at the very end of what we just listened to, he said to himself, oh, her movements are like, just like a quick little squirrel, just to think this plaything is my new wife. Mm, so charming. Yes. And he says, oh, her charm is so alluring that I struggle with my feverish, sudden desire. You, ugh. Yeah, I know. I can't listen to the lyrics. It's just so gross. And he keeps calling her little child, little child. Um, I mean, she is 15, but it's pretty rough. 
it's really three love duets all smashed together yeah. for, for about 16 minutes of love duet. And at the end, they're just showing their passion for each other. But the motivation is so very different for right. the two of them. Yeah. And Butterfly says, well, be gentle with me, please. We are a humble and quiet people. I'm like a tender flower, but I'm as profound as the sky or the waves of the sea. Oh, wow. It's beautiful. And Butterfly says, they say across the seas that if a butterfly falls into a man's hand, he'll pierce its heart with a needle and then mount it to a board. Well, there's an image, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how to Well, you think about insect oh, collecting, I right? Know, You've I seen know, butterflies. Totally. And Pinkerton says, well, there's some truth in that. Ha ha. You may not escape me anymore. Right. So he's pinning her to this this board. So there's a little bit of that in and amongst this love duet. Right. This is the tenderest moment you get to see in the opera with these two. And I think we should just go out All on right, this love duet. All right, so we're duet. just going to listen to a bunch of the love duet with Pinkerton and Chocho-san, where he's saying, I think you're a really pretty little doll. And she's like, I'm profound and love me forever. And my family just deserted me because I gave up everything for you. And he's like, that's great. You're like a squirrel. I love you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really sad. You're I'd... cute. <laughs> you're cute like a little squirrel. And she's like, I'm a butterfly, but, but don't be like those bad don't men who pin me to a butterfly. board. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All okay. right. Well, here's more of that on 89.1 KHOL.
You're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL, and that was the end of Act 1 
that was the very end of Act One. That is the last little bit of loving emotion <sighs> you get to see between so B.F. Pinkerton and his Japanese wife. Twisted, weird, not love feelings on his side. He thinks, I mean, does he even think that it's love or is, does he know that it's not really love? Well, when Sharpless asks him the question, he says, well, it, it could be or right, it could be yeah. a whim. I don't, I don't really know. Right. But his language. Oh, don't get so specific. <laughs> like, oh, you old men, you worry too much. Right. She's cute like a squirrel and I'm going to take her home, <laughs> lock her up. Yeah, she's bound to me. and he can For 999 years. Along with the house. Nanananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananananan
Suzuki might not have been convinced, but I'm convinced after hearing that. She's... You're convinced of what? That she, <laughs> that she believes that he's coming back. Or she's trying to convince herself yeah, to believe. Yeah, she's trying to convince herself. Yes, in fact, one of the things she, she says was she's trying to uh, convince Suzuki uh, that he will return, he will return. He says, remember, Suzuki, that last morning I asked him, sir... Will you come back to me? Because she knows the situation. She's seen other girls yeah. in these situations. And he answered with a generous heart that was concealing his suffering. Oh, butterfly, my tiny little child wife, I will return with the roses during the placid season when the robins are nesting. And then she says to Suzuki, see, he'll return. When when do the robins nest in America? She does ask that of Sharpless. There's they've happened three times here. She she does that exactly. That's right. when, when well you saw the opera yeah. recently. 
It's exactly true. Yes, she knows that things are not right. So I, I actually am not convinced that she believes. I'm, I'm convinced that she's trying to convince herself. Yeah. And that's why she so desperately wants to convince Suzuki. Because if she can convince Suzuki, then... She has some comfort. Yes, yes. And she talks about waiting for him and, and looking forward to his return, which she knows he will do. She is so devoted to this man. So what we haven't talked about yes. is the elephant in the room, right? When when does he get introduced? Not yet. Okay. But he's not an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would hope not, or that would be a really, really different play. All right. We should let on. Okay. There's a child. There is a child. No surprise there, right? Right. Presumably conceived on the wedding night. Because Pinkerton doesn't stay he around left. a whole long time. Yes, there is a child. She will show to Sharpless. Sharpless is going to appear reasonably soon. And we will we will learn a little more. So let's go on out on a little music. Mm-hmm. And we'll see you all after the break. All right. You're listening to 89.1 KHOL. And this is Opera for Everyone. And on today's show, we're listening to Madame Butterfly by Giacomo Puccini. Amico, cercherete quel bel fior di fanciulla. Ma dice proprio così? Sì, così dice, ma se ad ogni momento... You're listening to Opera for Everyone, a radio show and podcast that makes opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for a mainstream audience. It airs Sundays from 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. KHOL is Wyoming's only community radio station. Opera for Everyone is hosted by me, Keely Heron. And me, Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. And like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone, where you can also send us a message. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy the second half of today's episode. Welcome back to the second half of today's episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And on today's episode, we are listening to Madame Butterfly by Giacomo Puccini. And for the first time, finally, I remembered immediately that we're going to do the Opera Helmet Quiz. Yes, wherein you recap what's happened in the first half of the episode. <laughs> it was so funny the other day when we were doing the fun drive. Were you listening when I when I had the... 
had no, the, uh, I missed it. Had other people in the studio do the opera Helmet quiz. They did pretty well. Oh, that's great. I was impressed. But there wasn't an opera you were doing. Um, no, I guess we were doing a bunch of different things. Oh, but you made them recap. I had them recap, and they said like, "Oh, there was two people, and they fell in love, and then one it of, ended badly. And then one someone died. died. Yeah. <laughs> then somebody. Yeah. And then they died. That's opera. Yeah. That's opera. So and scene. Madam Butterfly. We uh, have okay. So Madam Butterfly. First act plus the introductory song of Act Two. Okay. So Madam Butterfly is an opera by Giacomo Puccini, and it's set in the early 1900s in Japan, and it features B.F. Pinkerton, Benjamin Franklin Pinkerton, a naval officer in the U.S. Navy who has been stationed in Tokyo and... Nagasaki. Uh, in Nagasaki, sorry. And as part of the tradition, I guess, of the servicemen who have been staying in Nagasaki, he goes to a marriage broker who is Goro, who organizes 999-year marriages for foreign GIs. And he also dabbles in real estate. And he is also, in addition to being a quote-unquote marriage broker, he's also a real estate broker. So it's a one-stop shop if you want a house and a wife. You go to Goro, and he hooks you up. And then that is where Pinkerton meets Chocho-san, who is Madame Butterfly, a 15-year-old girl who is a, I guess, you know, working in a tea house, and her family had been of a fairly high station, but then they were dishonored, and so now they're anxious to get her married off and to not have to look after her anymore, and so she becomes a bride through Goro and is introduced to Pinkerton, and she's so excited because she thinks that it's a love marriage and she's going to get married to him and it's going to be amazing and they're going to live happily ever after and in preparation for the marriage because she's so excited to show her devotion she renounces her Shinto Buddhist past which on the day of her ceremony is discovered by her uncle the Bonza who is a priest in the Buddhist tradition so while she is getting married to Pinkerton, the Bonza shows up and says, we denounce you, you're no longer part of our family, you're dead to us, and all of your ancestors too, so good luck with that, and your new GI Yankee boyfriend, and peace out, so they leave, and then Chocho-san and Pinkerton sing for like 20 minutes about how much (laughs) she loves him, and how sad she is that her family has left her, and he's like... I love you, you tiny little bird. You're like a little squirrel, you little cute little doll person that isn't really real. Just like this marriage thing, because who knows what's going to happen. But gosh dang it all the heck, you're so cute. Let's go to bed. Yeah, that's about it. (laughs) And then that uh, ends Act 1. And then the beginning of Act 2 is three years later, and Chocho-san is smoking like a chimney, and uh, she's haggard at the age of 18, and she's hanging out with her long-suffering maid, Suzuki, and Suzuki's wearing her sensible shoes and (laughs) being sensible and trying to support her crazy 18-year-old mistress, who is clearly a little bit unhinged because her husband left her three years ago, and they're poor and she's still living in this house on the top of the hill and she's not working and they don't have any more money and she sings this amazing aria 
one beautiful day, un bel día, that her love will return, but she pretty much knows that he won't. And Suzuki's like, yeah, probably not, lady. And yeah, and that's kind of where we left off. That is exactly where we left off. And I think we need to tell you about the characters who show up now. Who shows up next, Pat? Well, next we have Goro and Sharpless come okay. to the little house up on the hill. Goro's kind of a shyster. Yes, Goro sort of stays in the background in the beginning of this. And when Sharpless comes in, he's actually surprised that Madame Butterfly recognizes him because he hasn't seen her since the day of the wedding. But she, of course, does because he's the American consul. Right. And she's identifying as American now, even though her American husband doesn't seem to be much in touch with her. But she's very proud to say, welcome to an American home. So she's she's really embracing this new identity because she's been thrown out of her old identity. Yeah. And she offers him an American cigarette and she's trying to make him at home. And Sharpless is like, well, let me get to the point here. Benjamin Franklin Pinkerton has written to me. And she's so excited to hear. And she's, But she's trying to keep cool. Right. Is he well? Oh, yes, he's he's just fine. And she's just bursting with excitement now because a letter to the consul who she knows is right there by her. So she's she's her hope is getting stronger, getting stronger. But she asks Sharpless, Sharpless, we, we referred to this earlier. At what time of the year do the robins nest in America? My husband promised to return in the joyous season when the robins rebuild their nests. But here, in Nagasaki, they've built them three times already. So I was assuming it happened less often in your country because... He hasn't been back. He's nowhere to be seen. And Sharpless is just totally befuddled. He's he's actually trying to be a nice guy here. And he's like, I- I'm so sorry, I haven't studied ornithology. Yeah, I don't know much about birds, but... Yeah, well, ornithology is a word a little bit outside of her vocabulary. Right. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> it's kind of kind of rough and she she sees Goro and she gets really annoyed did she's like do you know that Goro has been here repeatedly trying to marry me off to someone else and you can see that Sharpless thinks that's maybe not such yeah, a bad Sharpless idea is like, hmm. and Goro will will say aside to Sharpless look at her she's so impoverished right but she's still got a lot to offer before she's too haggard and too old right because her relatives have all announced her, but I've found this guy who's willing to marry her. Oh, yeah, he's like a prince or something. He, yes, it's Prince Yamadori, and Prince Yamadori comes in. He says, ha, huh, I just want you to know I am so infatuated with you, I have divorced all my other wives so that I can marry you. But to you, I will remain married forever. Right. So you can guess how she takes that, right? She's not super into it. She's not super into it, but but if, if she were kind of thinking through and facing facts... This might be a reasonable solution to her problems, I think. That's my own editorializing. But Butterfly just gets completely indignant. She says, I'm a married woman. How can you propose marriage to someone who's already married? Don't don't be absurd. Don't be so insulting to me. Mm-hmm. And Yamadori says to Butterfly, well, your husband's abandoned you. That's tantamount to divorce. Mm-hmm. And Madame Butterfly, who is now identifying as American, says, well, Japanese law doesn't work the same as American law. In America, you can't just turn your wife out. You have to go before a judge and give good reasons. And no one's done that in my case, she says. Oh. 
So she's essentially quoting the law to him, but not the law that he's familiar with. Right. So Sharpless is just like, I am. I was hoping this was going to work, but yeah. it didn't. It didn't. And so Sharpless says, Butterfly, I need to read you this letter. Yeah. Yeah. He says, please sit down and let me read you this letter. So let's listen to the song where he tries to read her this letter and then you'll tell us what happened sure because we'll be, it will be because it'll pleasure. be in italian so we won't be able to understand it. okay <laughs> okay if you're just tuning in you're listening to opera for everyone on 89.1 khol and this is the song in which sharpless tells butterfly that pinkerton has written and it's called ora a noi and now on 89.1 khol Ora noi sedete qui Leggere con me Volete questa lettera Fiate sulla bocca Sul cuore Siete l'uomo migliore del mondo Incominciate Amico, cercherete quel bel fior di fanciulla Ma dice proprio così? Sì, così dice, ma se ad ogni momento Taccio, taccio, più nulla Da quel tempo felice Tre anni son passati Anche noi li ha contati E forse Butterfly Non mi rammenta più Non lo rammento Sotto occhi di lato Circospezione prepararla Ritorna Al colpo Poco anno, presto, presto E non è Qui troncarla conviene Quel diavolo d'un fingerton You're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL And that was Chocho-san and the U.S. Consul Representative Sharpless in Madame Butterfly by Giacomo Puccini. And uh, Pat, are you going to bring us up to speed and tell us what that letter said? Well, to the extent that he was able to tell her what the letter said, because she didn't really want to hear everything that was in the letter. Yeah, she sounded a little bit um, sad. Well, she's trying to keep it together. Yeah. She's feeling abandoned but trying to hold on to hope and so when he comes by and he starts reading the letter she's so excited because there's a letter from Pinkerton mm-hmm. she's had no there's word something from him. at there's least a crumb 
it's at least something and starts out and he he's reading and he says well since the happy time when i was there in nagasaki three years have passed and butterfly is so excited oh he's counted the years too and perhaps Butterfly does not remember me anymore. And she can't believe he would write such a thing. Like, How could I not remember my husband? Don't be ridiculous. And, and Sharpless is trying to stay calm, trying to keep her focused. <laughs> he says, keeps reading, if, if she still loves me, if Butterfly still loves me, and if she's waiting for me. And once again, Butterfly interrupts him with Gets her so excitement. Exciting. Yeah. Right. And then he, he reads, I am relying on your tact in order to prepare her for the shock. He Sharpless reads this too? Yes, but she keeps interrupting him. Right. And she's okay. sort of, she's not wanting to hear anything she doesn't want anyway. to hear. Right. And Sharpless is getting so frustrated and he even under his breath at one point just goes, oh, the devil Pinkerton. Right. Like, how can Pinkerton be this way? How can he do this to me? And he tries another approach with her. He says, Madam Butterfly, what would you do if Pinkerton never did return? And she actually hears that and she can barely speak, but she says, well, I could either go back to being an entertainer, a tea house girl, a geisha, or better still, I would die. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, oh, oh, don't do that. He says, really, you should accept Prince Yamadori's proposal of marriage. That's what you should do because he knows what's in the rest of the letter. Right. Which, and I can just tell us now, no spoilers really, Pinkerton has gone ahead and married his real American wife. Mm-hmm. So he he no longer considers himself married to Butterfly, even though he's not told her that. Right. So it's, it's kind of sad. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's not nearly strong enough a word, well, is it's it? it's tragic. It's heartbreaking. It it's is heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. Villainous. And Sharpless just is so upset by this whole situation. And Chocho-san leaves, Butterfly leaves and comes back. And this is when she shows him the baby, Pinkerton's baby. And she says, look, he's got blonde curls. He's got blue eyes. This is Pinkerton's son. Son. And Sharpless went, oh my gosh, that, yes, that's Pinkerton's son. Does Pinkerton know? And Butterfly says, well, no, of course not. He hasn't been in touch with me at all. And I I don't know. But would you please tell him that he's a father? No. Yeah. It's, It's just heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking. So... She then sings this song to her son after after Sharpless is taking all this in, essentially ending it with, oh, your mother will never fall into dishonor. I will not go back to entertaining people. I'd rather die than do that. Your mother's not going to do that. And Sharpless just has to leave. <laughs> he can't take it anymore. He can't take it anymore. And, oh, she does explain to Sharpless what she's named the child. His name is Dolore, sorrow, sadness, pain. But when his father comes to claim him and acknowledge him as his son, he will change his name to Joy. Mm. So it's it's pretty sad. <laughs> it's pretty sad. But something very exciting is about to happen. What? Una nave de guerra. It is a warship. They see a warship out in the harbor. And they look, and it is... American. The Abraham Lincoln. 
which they know to be Pinkerton's ship. Hmm. So they are so excited. So they being Suzuki Suzuki and and Chocho-san. Yes. Suzuki and Chocho-san see this ship and even Suzuki lets herself get excited. Oh, he is returning. He's written this letter. Hope springs eternal. Hope springs eternal. And there's a beautiful duet that the two of them sing. Suzuki and Chocho-san. Oh, yeah, this is a great one. Yes, they call it the flower duet. Because because, uh, Chocho-san... They decorate the house with flowers. Exactly. They go out into the garden and they bring all the leaves and the cherry blossoms and all the... And they spread them all around the house to create a welcome environment for Pinkerton. Yes. Let's listen to the song and we'll talk a little bit more about this scene. All right. Well, let's listen to both. Let's listen to the, there's a boat, there's a warship approaching, and then also the flower duet. So this will be both of those songs with Suzuki and Chocho-san. And mounting excitement. Yes. In uh, Madame Butterfly by Giacomo Puccini on Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. Oh, 
This was such a melancholy, bittersweet scene. I love a good duet. (laughs) It was so beautiful. And it was this sort of sense of foreboding and like hope against hope and just trying to will something into existence just because you want it so badly. Absolutely. And one of the things Suzuki's saying, but we're, we're taking all the flowers out of the garden. There won't be any left. And mm-hmm. and Madame Butterfly says, well, that's okay. And you know why those flowers grew, don't you? It was my tears that watered them. Mm. And now they're here for, for him. We shall await him. We want to make everything beautiful. And she, she even is going to have Suzuki bring her her wedding obi her her, the the gown that she wore on her wedding day so that pinkerton will see her the way he remembered her Mm. yeah it's it's pretty sad but one thing i wanted to mention in the music there and you've commented commented on it a few times as we're listening and not talking is that the you you get you hear those bits of japanese sounding music Mm -hmm. And yet it's it's oftentimes folded into more European-sounding music. Mm-hmm. And I ran across a little tidbit, which I found to be absolutely fascinating. You can drop some knowledge bombs? I'm going to drop a knowledge bomb. <laughs> <laughs> so Puccini was, needless to say, or not surprisingly, was musically gifted from a very young age. And by the time he was 16, he was playing the organ in various churches around his hometown but he liked lots of different kinds of music not just hymns and so what he did as a treat for everyone who had gone to church is he would take snippets from operas or other tunes that he knew and he would fold them into blend them into the existing hymns that he was supposed to be playing he was doing mashups he was doing mashups in church in church on the organ absolutely puccini. that puccini <laughs> he's and a party animal so, and so that's part of what is happening here he's doing mashups interesting yeah because you can hear it you can when you listen it's not obviously it's not the sort of main theme right but it definitely has that influence and that feeling right i mean and we even heard it right in the beginning of the show when he took a little snippet from the star spangled banner right. and folded it into the other thing well you can imagine how that went over with the powers that be in the churches where he was playing the organ like stick to the script right <laughs> so anyway he he goes off and gets his musical training and the rest is history but i just thought that was a fun little thing to yeah let yeah me. so that it shows sort of the influence that other you know that musicians take from other cultures and how how things evolve and he he just loved the music and he he obviously did exquisitely well with it I mean, he essentially was called after the publisher Ricordi, who Ricordi, who we've talked about previously, takes him under his wing and essentially anoints him heir to Verdi, the other, the previous great of Italian opera composing. Oh, and so Puccini is regarded in that way, and I think probably still is. Well, he did. I mean, so his other operas, Turndo, we've talked about, mm-hmm. and that was uh, the one with the with the woman who was the queen, and she made people try and serve a riddle, right? Turndo is actually interesting because that's this final opera. He he does not live to see it completed, so it ha- it actually has to be completed by another composer. But he nearly completes it. 
but uh, Labo M was oh, right. in. Oh, right. I forget that that was him. Yeah, well, he had, Tosca, Labo M, and Madama Butterfly had the same set of librettists. It was the same um, guys who did that, uh, Ilica and Giacosa. And those, those, they worked on those blockbusters. Right. Yeah. So it was kind of the Mozart de Ponti duo. In a way. In it a way, was Puccini yeah. and then, who were they? Ilica and Giacosa. Giacosa. Right, and Ilica, I believe, was the one who'd worked with him on his first really big hit, which was Manon Lescaut. Ah, right, okay. Right, and then this is followed up by uh, The Girl of the Golden West and Il Tritico, which is the three one-act operas, and ultimately turned up. And we're talking about 1896 to 1925. So he was busy. He was. And he was he was a superstar. He was absolutely a superstar. In fact, he's famous for enjoying the jet-setting lifestyle or at least mm. the, you know, the superstar. He was a baller. Yeah, jet-setting is like probably not the right word. Popping the tops off of champagne bottles with a sword. Well, he was buying fancy cars and fancy mm. boats and enjoying <laughs> oh, the lifestyle. And by the way, famously, he was quite the ladies' man. Is that right? Oh yeah! I, again, I could I could fill the rest of our time with the stories of his Puccini. dalliances. Yeah, there's some there's some pretty serious material in there about um, and him not always behaving very well, to be quite honest. That does happen sometimes. That does happen. Sadly, so behave. There's a little history there which I'm I'm simply not going to go into now because we won't get to hear because any we don't the have pretty time. Music. Okay, all right. Well, so let's get back to the story. Yes. So. So we left Chocho-san, Madame Butterfly, and the long-suffering Suzuki preparing the house for Pinkerton's arrival because they've seen a ship in the distance arriving yes. in the harbor, and they've identified that as the Abraham Lincoln, which is Pinkerton's ship. And so they're all a flutter because Pinkerton's returning. And so Chocho-san's going to go put on her wedding dress and get herself all gussied up and whatnot. Yeah, and she even and says, bring my rouge. She puts a little rouge on, so she has color in her cheeks, and she isn't even, it's, I mean, this is heartbreaking. She even puts a little rouge on the baby's cheeks so right. he doesn't look pale. Because they're kind of, they're like not really eating much, and they don't. No, they then, don't have much at all. Right. And And so, and you know, the, the walls of the house are these paper screens. Right. And it's just heartbreaking, particularly as you know where this is headed, they poke she pokes three holes in the paper screen one for her standing up one for suzuki and one down low for the baby to watch and wait for pinkerton's ascent up the hill to see his family Hmm. and the act will end with what is known as the humming chorus as they all stand vigil all night okay here's another little tidbit tidbit that i'd like to i don't think i've mentioned the name david belasco Um, doesn't ring a bell you may be familiar there's a belasco theater in new york he was a great producer of plays and also wrote some plays one of which was madam butterfly Hmm. which preceded it this it was in fact david belasco's production of madam butterfly being performed in London in the year 1900 that oh I do remember that that inspired that Puccini really to go and do this one well he was he was in London to mm-hmm. to uh, be present for the London premiere of Tosca mm-hmm. and a friend said you need to go see this play it's amazing well Puccini didn't speak English but he went he went to this play and it 
hit him like a freight train. Really? It really moved him. And one of the things that was so powerful to him was this vigil scene that we've just described. Right. And apparently it was about 15 minutes long, and there was no dialogue whatsoever. And it was lighting effects as the three sit and wait for Pinkerton's excruciating return. And they, you know, the light goes from goes to sundown. We see the right. stars in the sky, yes. and then dawn Ugh. approaches. And still, she Nothing. is stock still, waiting patiently as she's been dressed up, and the room is flowered and everything. So, and and the story goes that. Um, Puccini runs backstage after the play and he throws his arms around the neck of Belasco and says, I must, you know, in, in Italian, right. I must have this play. I must have it. I must make this an opera. And Belasco just says something along the lines of, there was this hysterical crying Italian, <laughs> oh, God. this impulsive man with both arms around my neck. What could I say? But yes. And, and so, that's how it happened. Yeah, I mean, it took him a little while to get all the details worked out. But yes, he ultimately does say yes. So even though they go back to the Lottis sources, they go back to the John Luther Long story, it, it was the seeing the play Belasco put together based on these stories mm. that really got to Puccini. So there's, there's a long history, aside from the fact that, that this was an actual practice, there were these dramatic treatments of it yeah. In in stories, in novels, in plays that yeah. then led to the opera. Well, and then I think the other interesting thing that we haven't talked about yet is that this this play is the is the basis of Miss Saigon, popularly. I mean, isn't that oh, yeah. kind of Absolutely. Yeah. And so, M Butterfly, yes. So when people go and see Miss Saigon on Broadway, yes. that was like Madame Butterfly was the launching pad for that. For no, that it's story. it's a huge train of events. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, well, so should we listen to the humming chorus? Yes, let's do. It's just a half a minute of uh, uh, Now Come and Adorn Me, Suzuki, that she's going to sing, and then that's going to transition right into the humming chorus, ending the second act. Okay. You're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. Thank you. 
So that was the end of Act 2. That was the end of Act 2. Pretty pitiful, huh? And they stayed up all night. Yes. Well, Suzuki went to bed, didn't she? Well, the baby falls asleep. Suzuki falls asleep. And we begin Act 3 with Butterfly telling Suzuki as she wakes with a jolt and says, It's morning! And obviously noticing that Pinkerton's not there. Right. And Butterfly says, He'll come. You'll see. He'll come. And Suzuki says, Butterfly, darling, go up and rest. I'll let you know when he comes. I'll call you. And Butterfly says, okay, okay. And she takes her her baby upstairs, and they go up to, to go to sleep. And once they've done that, of course, that's when we see Sharpless and Pinkerton arrive. And Suzuki's the only one in the household who's awake at this point. And they, shh, 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 don't wake her up, don't wake her up. Right. And, uh... Suzuki says, looks at Pinkerton and says, but she and the baby were awake all night, waiting, watching for you. Right. And Pinkerton's like, what? How how did she know? Suzuki's like, you don't understand, friend. Every ship that came into that harbor. For three years. For three solid years. Ugh. She was hoping it was you, and then her hopes were dashed. And then when she finally saw your ship... Look around you. Look at this room. Look at all these flowers we put out. She was up all night waiting for you. And then Suzuki looks out outdoors into the garden, into the yard, and says, Wait, who's that woman? Who's that woman out there? And there's a little toing and froing, and finally Pinkerson says, Well, uh, she came with me. And Sharpless is sort of like, Come on, let's, let's be honest here. He looks at Suzuki and he said, that is Mr. Pinkerton's wife. Right. And this it's the end as far as Suzuki's concerned. Right. You know, the worst fears are confirmed. And she says, well, the sun has set for our little butterfly then. Right. And Sharpless says, listen, Suzuki, we came here early just to see you alone to get your help and your support. And Suzuki's not really buying into that. (laughs) Sharpless says, listen, Suzuki, we need to do what's best for the baby. It's his welfare we need to be considering right now. God. Yeah. And at this point, the pieces are beginning to come together in Suzuki's head. 
and Pinkerton, for the first time ever, begins to act a little bit like a feeling Human being. Yeah, and he says, "Oh, the bitter fragrance of these flowers! It's like poison in my heart." And Sharpless goes on to rebuke him, and he says, "Don't you remember what I told you on the wedding day?" I said, be careful. She believes in your love. Right. And she was deaf to any advice to doubt you. She waited for you. She's in love with you. And and Pinkerton confesses at this point. In one sudden moment, I see my heartless faults. I feel that I will never have peace from this agony. And then he goes on to sing this aria that we're going to listen to in a moment. That, by the way, that bit as well as this aria, were not in the original version, not in the one that was booed at La Scala when it premiered in 04. It was added really? in a little bit later when they broke it into the two acts. Right, yeah. And they just had to humanize Pinkerton a little bit. Because otherwise everybody would just hate him so much that it was... Yeah, not that we don't still hate him, because we kind of do, but it at least he has... He's, Some he, humanity. You know, just as we've seen... Well, just as we've seen Butterfly mature over these three years, it appears that Pinkerton has matured somewhat as well. A little. A a little, right. He does still abandon her. Um, And he will sing this song, Goodbye, Flowered Refuge. I will always see her gentle face and be haunted by my guilt. Goodbye, Mm. Flowered Refuge. I cannot bear your squalor. I flee. I am vile. He ends it by saying, I am vile. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, he's not going to change his behavior. But at least he recognizes that he's behaving badly. That's right. Okay, good. All right. Well, this is Pinkerton telling everybody that he's uh, vile uh, in Madam Butterfly <laughs> on 89.1 KHOL, opera for everyone.
Well, he might be vile, but he can sing. <laughs> yes, he can sing. <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. So moving on, <laughs> he leaves and we see Suzuki and Kate, Pinkerton's wife, who's waiting out in the garden. Huh? And they have a conversation together. And what do they say? Well, Kate is a sweet woman, and she comes off as a sweet woman. Mm-hmm. Even though she's married to Pinkerton, who's vile. Even though she's married to the vile Mr. B.F. Pinkerton. Mm-hmm. And Kate says to Suzuki, then you will tell her? Suzuki says, I promise. And you will advise her to entrust him to me? I promise. I want you to know I'll care for him as if he were my own son. I promise, I promise. But you need to let me speak to her alone, Suzuki says. She will cry a lot. She will weep. Yeah. So much. That's how the libretto. She will weep so much. Right. And at this point, Kate leaves, and we have Butterfly and Suzuki together. And Suzuki's a little hesitant, but Butterfly's excited still. She's like... I, I see the consul leaving. He was here. Where's Where's Pinkerton? Where's Pinkerton? And then she sees the woman standing in the garden, Kate. Mm. And it all just... Crashes in on her. Clicks. And it's, again, it's heartbreaking. And she goes, I'm never going to see him again, am I, Suzuki? Suzuki says, no. No, you're not ever going to see him again. But he's here. She's like, that. that's not... It doesn't matter. It's not happening. It's not happening. And, and Butterfly knows it at this point. And she she looks at Kate and she says, that woman frightens me so. Sharpless comes in at this moment. And he says, Butterfly, please understand, she is the innocent cause of your misfortunes. Please, please forgive her. And Sharpless begs her to give up her son to Kate and Pinkerton for the son's good. Because they view her life as squalor, less than mm-hmm. not appropriate for Pinkerton's son. Butterfly straightens up and says, well, I will obey Mr. B.F. Pinkerton's wish. So be it. Tell him to come back in half an hour himself to get the son. So I'd like to just mention the ending of the story as it appears in the John Luther Long novel, mm-hmm. because it's not identical to the opera. He adds a scene that's not in the prior story, and, it, and it's not what is picked up by Belasco or by Puccini. And he has Butterfly going to visit the U.S. consul in his office, go to see Sharpless. And as she's going, she sees a woman there, a blonde American woman, and she tells Sharpless to send a telegram to her husband, B.F. Pinkerton, saying that she has seen the child. Butterfly's son and she's planning to meet the mother the next morning and to take the child away for a proper American upbringing. Butterfly overhears all this because she's gone to see Sharpless and she's crushed. She's devastated and she's starting to leave. She bumps into Mrs. Pinkerton and Mrs. Pinkerton, similar to the beginning of the story, Mrs. Pinkerton sees this lovely young Japanese woman and she says, oh, how very charming you are. Oh, you're so lovely. Will you kiss me, you pretty plaything? She treats her like like it's just like another doll. And he ends the story with Butterfly going back to her home and she, she attempts suicide. But she's unsuccessful because 
Suzuki finds her, and she binds up her wounds. So she does not die by her own hand. And the next day, Mrs. Pinkerton comes to fetch the child, and they've all vanished. And that's, oh. the, that's how it ends in that story. Interesting. Right? Very interesting. The opera, however, has a very different ending. Right, well. Yeah. <laughs> well so what happens now? <laughs> Must I? <laughs> all right, so she's told Pinkerton to come back in half an hour. And in that period of time, she is essentially saying goodbye to the world. You will recall the sheathed dagger that was one of her few possessions that Mm -hmm. she pulled out to bring to her new home. It was the dagger with which her father committed suicide or the ritual suicide Mm -hmm. that was Mm -hmm. essentially ordered by his commander. And she reads it and there's an inscription on it which says, To die with honor for one who cannot serve with honor. So she figures she cannot live with honor anymore, so she must die. And she is getting ready to do this. Suzuki brings in the child to her because Suzuki's got a sense of what's up. She gives the the child a doll. She gives the child an American flag. Right. I can see your eyes tearing up already. Yeah, it's just so sad. She bandages the child's eyes so he cannot see. And... She goes behind a screen and yeah. she, yeah, you're <laughs> right. She, uh, she cuts her throat. Yeah. And she, and her, you know, sort of dying wedding moments. dress and everything. Yeah. It's yeah. Right, she's in the wedding dress and it's just, it's so dramatic. It is so dramatic and it's so powerful and it's just, I mean, I don't know how anyone could not be crying at that point in the opera. Well, I think that the thing that I thought about most with this opera is the incredible, unfortunate circumstances of one person's actions and, and how careless we can be and how the choices we make, we don't really understand what it means to someone else. And, you know, this guy who just took everything so lightly and so callously just ruined this woman's life and yes it's just so tragic and it's in the world of opera it's it's one of the more modern operas i mean because it's totally relatable oh yes it's not like it's you know witches and warlocks or fairies and or it's not like it's in the 17th century or something it's like you can relate to well not to All heap tragedy upon tragedy, but one of the, the theorized people who is the, the model for Madame the Butterfly and her son, there's been some research done into this this family. Mm-hmm. And I may have mentioned before that, that this is a son who is the product of an American father and a Japanese mother. So mm-hmm. he never fits completely into either, either society, mm-hmm. even though... This lovely American woman, we presume she's lovely and good does to her, her best word and, and does her best. Her He's still not fully of either culture. Mm-hmm. And the the family that is theorized to be one of the models of this story that people like Luther Long adopted he's he's a young man who went back and forth between identifying as Japanese and identifying as American, but never oh. really fitting in anywhere and ultimately under the stress of it all ends his own life. Really? So there is more tragedy yet in the future. It's just a very poignant story. And you're right. It's it's not terribly long ago. Right. So 
So let's listen to some more music. Yeah. Maybe we can go out on some of these songs that Suzuki and Butterfly sing here right at the end. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of Opera for Everyone. We're going to play some of the last songs from the opera Madame Butterfly by Giacomo Puccini.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. And I'm Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. And like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone, where you can also send us a message. We know that opera can be challenging. But everyone loves a good story. And a story set to music is even better. That's why our mission is to make Opera opera for for everyone. everyone.